So a few months ago, a friend of mine mentioned he was selling this little dirt bike. And I was like, for how much? Because I've got this little boy who's 10 years old and loves anything with an engine. So I buy it, get it home, and my boy grabs it and says, I, I want to drive it, Dad. And I'm like, no way. You don't even know how to start the thing, let alone drive it. And so we get in this little argument. And uh, he says, Dad, did you buy it for me? And I'm like, yes, I bought it for you. And then he goes, then let me use my gift. And over the next few days, uh, I'd come out to the garage and he'd be just sitting on it. And he was like obsessed with desire to use the gift that I'd gotten him. But until I had time to train and equip him with the necessary skills to use it safely, as a dad, I was like, somebody's going to get hurt. And this is actually what's happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so I want to start by asking you a question here today. Why did you come to church? Maybe you're investigating the claims of Jesus, or you're hoping your children are going to hear the truth, or maybe you're here to be reminded of the gospel. Psalm 95.6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. So here's kind of the big idea of this talk today, is that when we, when we gather as the church, our only agenda is to love others and to worship God. Uh, at least it should be, right? Uh, but for this young, growing group of Christians in the city of Corinth, church was becoming more of a competition than a place of worship. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says this. It says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Uh, so when the Corinthians showed up to church, they all had their own agenda. And I don't know if you've ever been talking to somebody and realized there's this conversation behind the conversation. So for the Corinthians, the conversation beneath the conversation was, look how spiritual I am. Uh, when they would gather, everyone would be singing over one another, and uh, there were different people trying to preach, and others were speaking in tongues at the same time that others were preaching and interpreting and telling everyone what it all means. And so, uh, back to my son. So I've been giving him some rules of the road, like rules of riding a dirt bike to empower him to use the gift that I've given him. And I actually think the rules that I gave to him will apply to this story as well. Uh, which brings us to dirt bike safety rule number one. So remember this, you're not the only one on the trail. So I was out on this narrow Jeep trail a few years ago. And if you know Alaska trails, you know that sometimes there's this brush that's so thick that you can't really even see like 10 feet in front of you. And so I'm going really slow. Uh, but I come around this corner and a guy on a dirt bike is coming right at me doing 30, 40 miles an hour and he didn't have time to stop and so he laid the bike down and slid it right underneath the front of my Jeep. And I just about ran him over uh, because he acted like he was the only one on the trail. Well, Paul says this, he says, let all things be done for building up. So here's some advice. If you want a full life for yourself, empty yourself for others. I've just learned this over the course of my life. You see, the local church is often where we go to get filled up and to get something from people or from God. But God says, uh, it's where you show up to fill other people up. And so I want to ask you right now, what's on your mind? Is it the people around you or is it you? So, and I'll be honest, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here to just kind of drink the coffee or have someone watch your kids or listen to a good sermon or music, like, that's great. That's awesome. Like, we're super glad that you're here. But... If you're a Jesus follower who would say that this is my church home, let me ask you this question. Did you choose ACF because you get filled up or because you see a way to fill others up? 
And there's nothing wrong with enjoying gathering as a church, and there's nothing wrong with liking uh, the challenge of the teaching or liking the time that we have together. But here's how Paul describes the way of Jesus for us today in the church. In Philippians 2, 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So I have to remind myself of this all the time. You don't look most like Jesus when you strap on a microphone and go on stage. You look most like Jesus when you serve people while no one's looking. So there are actually three causes of disunity in the Corinthian church. Uh, And here they are. They were tongues, prophecy, and women. So just calm down. Like, put away the pitchforks. I get it. Uh, You're like, oh, that's why he recorded the message, right? He didn't want to get drug off the stage by an angry mob. No, listen. Uh, Paul is speaking to a specific issue at a specific time. And as always with the Bible, God's truth for them reveals God's truth for us. So let's start off with the issue of tongues in the early church. So remember the Corinthian church, uh, their gatherings are like 40 to 60 people. Uh, So it's like a big small group. Uh, not like what we have in our main building on a Sunday morning with like hundreds of people. So at ACF, there are things that happen in small groups and in outposts that never happen in our big church gatherings. It just wouldn't work very well. Uh, and, and it's funny, people will sometimes say, we should let people get up and share a word from God at church. And here's the deal. We actually do at your small groups or at your ACF outposts, but not in our large gatherings that we have. It just, it wouldn't work well. Paul says this in verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. So what's Paul talking about when he mentions tongues? Uh, it honestly sounds strange, right? If you didn't grow up in the church, like what is tongues all about? Kind of creepy, right? Uh, but there's actually two basic types of tongues in scripture. Uh, the first is to speak a known language that you otherwise wouldn't have known. So by the power of God's spirit that you're speaking this language like we see in Acts chapter 2. Um, and that's actually what's happening. It, it's this evangelistic tool uh, used to share the gospel. And it's, it's meant for like a public setting. Uh, and, and it's something that we still hear about happening today. So the second type of tongues would be a heavenly language or some kind of dialect. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, it talks about speaking in tongues of angels. And uh, some people believe that we can still pray or sing in this heavenly language today. Uh, and it sounds like Paul is dealing with something like this type of gift of tongues. Uh, but people are using their gift with no understanding of how. And so it's disruptive and it's chaotic in the church. You know, there's much debate about how and if this gift is active in the church today. And my answer is this. If it is, it's done in a smaller setting in such a way that it's orderly and builds others up. Again, it's not about the person speaking. It's not about you. Just using your gift. And Paul goes on in verse 28. He says, but if no one is there to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So in other words, if nobody interprets what's being said in this heavenly language, then the church can't be built up. And if nobody can be built up, sit down and keep it to yourself. And Paul says, you need to limit the number of interpreters, but you do need interpreters when somebody is speaking in tongues. And uh, the issue wasn't just people standing up speaking a language nobody could understand, but then groups of people who wanted to teach the church what God was saying, they'd just get up and start teaching over each other. And you might be like, well, why is that an issue? Well, like any church gathering, it's got a time limit, right? It's got a beginning and an end, a flow, a pace, a purpose. And let me be real. I'm like a 90-minute preacher if people would let me. Uh, But that's not what's best for the church and that's not what's best 
for, for anyone. And so, again, it's not about us. It's about serving the people around us. So moving on, he says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. And you might ask, well, what's the gift of prophecy? Um, in the Old Testament, we have prophets like Samuel and Nathan and Elijah who spoke directly from God. And they would say this kind of like, thus saith the Lord type of stuff. And uh, people think of prophecy today being more about what's going to happen in the future. But it's not always that. It's, it's often about, in the Old Testament, God's judgment or God's call to holiness. And then occasionally it was about what's going on in the future. But it's interesting that prophecy today is all about the end of the world, right? Which, if I'm honest, based on Hollywood, looks pretty bleak, right? Uh, when's the last time you saw an end-of-the-world movie that was all about this positive existence, right? All our movies tell us something about the public view of where the world is going, and to people outside the church, it doesn't look good, right? Everybody dies and burns in the end of most of these movies, right? Every, and then every time there's a natural disaster, there are people who try to prophesy about when the end of the world is actually coming, but Jesus says, he says this, you won't know the place or the time I'm coming back, but you should still live like the master's coming home at any moment. That's really what we need to know. So a lot of people today are focused on the end of the world, but Jesus came preaching all about the beginning of a new and perfected world. He was always preaching the kingdom of God is near. As believers, we have a totally different view of the end of the world. And it's interesting, John the Baptist is often called the last of the Old Testament prophets. And we actually believe that the title of prophet is now closed. In other words, uh, we don't identify people as prophet Bill or prophet Sarah or prophet George, right? But the gift of prophecy, I believe, can and does still happen in the church today. So then what actually is it? Well, prophecy for us today just means to speak the truth of God in a way that builds up other believers. So Paul goes on to verse 29. He says, And let others weigh what is said. So this leads us to dirt bike safety rule number two, which is always check the manual. Uh, you can learn a lot about life on YouTube, but sometimes it's hard to know what's true and what isn't, right? And, and so here's the lesson for my son. If you want to learn about the bike, the manufacturer gave you a manual, and we actually look at it. Now here's the deal. The Bible is so much more than a manual for life, right? It's history and it's letters and it's poetry and it's the Torah, which is the biblical law given to Israel by God. But it is the tool we have to pierce through the rhetoric of modern culture and find what's actually true. So when you hear something you think is true, always check the manual, right? Now you've got that friend that's like, who needs manuals, right? Just go for it. It's trial by fire. Uh, well, trial by fire can get people killed on a dirt bike, right? Uh, and the same is true when people try to do the works of God without the word of God. Uh, Paul says, weigh what is said for what is true. And, and right now, there are a lot of Christians testing the Bible based on what the world says to be true, when you should be testing what the world says to be true based on the Bible. So anytime someone's teaching you, including myself, go back to the manual, right? And I would also say, if you're not a Christian, you should weigh your beliefs against the Bible and see what ends up being more consistent and historically accurate. And I'll tell you, I'm not a Christian only because I have faith, which I do. I'm actually a Christian because of all the religions and the worldviews that I've studied, Christianity and the Bible makes the most sense to me. You see, some people don't test anything and other people do nothing but testing. Maybe that's you. You're a skeptic. And I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Abolition of Man. He says, you cannot go on explaining away forever. 
you will find that you have explained explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. In other words, yes, we should test things to see what's true, but we can find ourselves in such a place of skepticism that we're no longer testing to see the truth, we're actually testing to avoid seeing the truth. Maybe that's you here today. Verse 30 going on, he says, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. I remember at one point going to a music festival where there were like stages all over the place, bands playing at the exact same time. And you could stand in certain spots and you could actually hear multiple bands at one time and it was chaos. I'm a musician, they were playing in different keys. It sounded terrible. And that's literally what's going on in the church. They're just talking over each other and it just, it's chaos to the people that are listening. Verse 32 says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. So going on, he's saying people can't just say God told me and you should just believe it. A lot of people have gotten in trouble with that where they've used God told me to try to just get what they want. But we shouldn't just believe that. It's subject to the things that God has said before. We need to test what's being said by the word of God. In other words, if someone gives you a word from God that contradicts the word of God, it's not a word from God. Verse 33. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. This is really getting into the meat of the text for us today. You see, God in creation hovers over the chaos of the waters, and he brings peace to the world in creation. Uh, in the garden, there was nothing but peace between God and man, peace between mankind with one another. So peace with God and peace with each other is the way God created the world. Then when sin comes into the world, death, disorder, and chaos enter the world. You see, people in church, in the church of Corinth, were just showing up to show off. And another way to say it is that they were all focused on not the edification, but the exhibition of themselves. And, on, and their aim was really to impress people and to elevate themselves, not to serve people and to submit themselves. And here's the deal. God does not create chaos. He creates peace. So we know that the presence of sin, and we see this historically, brought chaos into the world, and it really does bring chaos into our lives. So here's a question for you. Where do you experience chaos in your life? And I'll tell you that there is almost always an aspect of sin in your life contributing to the chaos that's in your life. Just an example is parents. I see a lot of parents whose lives are just plain out of control, and they think, uh, that life is just kind of this way. Like it just has to be chaos with kids, right? And they're overwhelmed and they're frustrated and they're angry and they're, they're depressed, right? But most of the time, when you begin to ask questions, you find out that they don't have a rhythm of Sabbath in their lives. They don't say no to their kids so that they are now like in every sport and activity under the sun. Uh, they bought the RV or the house they couldn't afford. So now they work this crazy schedule that uh, has outpaced their Sabbath in their life. And they end up turning to Netflix or some other sort of numbing behavior to get away from all of the chaos. Listen, God is a God of peace and order. So hear me. You have the authority to take control of your life. It, I've been there. And it's so worth it just to slow down and replace whatever that sin is or whatever that chaos is with the peace that God has to offer. So if chaos is a product of sin, then peace comes from submitting ourselves to Jesus. And if you just keep asking for peace in your life, which I know we all want, but you don't ask for more of Jesus, you will continue to reap chaos. But if you come to Jesus, you will ultimately reap more peace. 
And I think right now one of the strongest testimonies to the world that God is actually real and that Christianity is something worth exploring is when Christians live at peace in a world of chaos. This is what the idea of hold fast, the series that we're in, is all about, is that we would hold fast to God in a world that seems chaotic. So when people look at our lives and they see division and disunity and infighting and chaos, they see that God isn't even real. But when they see peace, they see a God that's actually real. And so that was tongues, and then we had prophecy causing division in the church. Now Paul says, there are women in your church who are fighting against the truth of God and are creating chaos in your gatherings. So listen, just breathe, buckle up. And I say that because I know in a society of equality, and especially one historically with oppression of women, the idea of calling out a certain gender, especially women, may rub some of you the wrong way. But let me just ask you to hold off on walking out or throwing objects at the screen until we talk this through. So as with any biblical text, we have to do the biblical hermeneutics, which is the understanding of the specific context of a verse and its own time and place that it was written to. And then to perform the biblical exegesis, which is understanding how it applies to our lives today. So here we go. Are you ready? Everybody in the room after me, this is audience participation time. Everybody say ready. One, two, three. I don't know if you said it, but I hope you did. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 says this, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. So this verse is for all the ladies who just said, ready, set you up. So anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, for, For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay. The Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it, let's just move on, right? Uh, I know some of you others in the room are thinking, what in the world kind of Bible verse is that? What kind of church is that that would say this? Um, So again, when it comes to reading our Bibles, we always have both the literalists and the figuratives. And the literalists are saying, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, let's just move on. But then without knowing it, they always contextualize other verses in the Bible. For instance, when Paul says in 1 Timothy that men should pray with their hands raised high and that women are not to wear jewelry or braid their hair, even some of the strongest literalists say, well, that's just context. That's just for them. And in in many of the most conservative churches around, they have women leading worship and giving testimonies and giving announcements. But if you're really just reading the Bible for what it says, you've got to go full literal with everything in the Bible, which I promise you will not end up well. And it's not a good way of reading the Bible. But then you've got the figuratives who say, well, that was then and this is now. Uh, There's no difference between men and women because if there are differences, then that must mean that women are less valuable or that we're unequal in some sort of way. And I'll tell you, and I'm not going to make any friends in this, I think both are wrong. Which leads me to dirt bike safety rule number three, always assume a posture of learning. Now here's the deal. Paul already said in 1 Corinthians 11 that women should pray and prophesy in church, which unless they were doing sign language, which which would mean that they're actually speaking, right? So what historians gather uh, as they study Paul's letters is that you have these women who are coming from all kinds of different pagan backgrounds. And there's this collision of what they believe and they've given their hearts to the Lord, but they're creating chaos in the gatherings by speaking up and even arguing with whoever is teaching the word of God in a public setting during their worship gatherings. And the women in the room, they're not coming to learn at this point. They're actually coming to argue. 
They weren't asking questions after the gatherings to gain understanding. They were arguing in the gatherings to assert their opinions. And this became an issue for the church in Corinth. Now, you might still be kind of struggling with that biblical text and argue, couldn't have Paul rebuked both the men and the women? And sure, he could have. But listen, in this context, it was the women who had the problem, not the men. And so Paul speaks to the women specifically about this issue. And this is a real issue culturally for us today because in our society, sometimes to call out a group of women feels like you're calling out all women, but that's not reality. Uh, No more than to call out a group of men is to call out all men. And I'll tell you, at ACF Church, you'll see women and men being used by God in incredible and powerful ways. You'll hear preaching that calls out holiness in the lives of both men and women. You'll also see women and men being used in unique and sometimes different ways because God created men and women beautifully unique and different. It's like God himself is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the trinity, there's not one that's less or greater than the other, yet they all operate in different and distinct ways. So it's like this, the Holy Spirit doesn't complain, I didn't get to walk on water like Jesus, why aren't we all equal? And and Jesus doesn't ask the Holy Spirit, why do you get to do all the convicting of sin? You know, that's not how it works. Listen to this, there's unity, not uniformity, and the same is true between men and women. So listen, if I haven't lost you at this point, remember the big idea. When we gather with the church, our only agenda is to love others and worship God. For my son, if he didn't assume a posture of learning on his dirt bike, he was going to hurt himself. For a lot of people using their gifts in the church, if we don't assume a posture of learning, we end up hurting others and ourselves. You see, so much of why people outside of the church want nothing to do with the church is because Christians have other agendas. And what was undermining the the Corinthian church was that people showed up more eager to use their gifts than they were eager to serve others and to worship God. And and this always helps me when I begin to deal with pride in my heart, and I hope it helps you. Remember, you are not God's gift to the church. Jesus is. This kind of really refocuses us and helps us to see why we're here. The church is God's gift to us. So uh, we just show up like this, like with open hands, We show up open-handed, ready to sacrifice as the Spirit leads. I'll tell you, one of the requirements for anyone who uh, serves at ACF Church is that they don't need to use their gift to be okay. I'll tell you, I don't need to be in the role of teacher. One day, I'll give this role away to somebody else, and I hope they'll do a better job than I ever did. I've had actually people come up to me and say, Pastor Brian, I have the gift of preaching. I think I should be on the preaching team. Or when I was a worship leader, I remember people showing up on their first week to ACF and say, Pastor Brian, how can I become a worship leader here at ACF? But I'll tell you, I've never had someone come up and on their first week say, Pastor Brian, I have the gift of total self-sacrifice. How can I give up everything I want and have for the family and the mission of ACF Church? See, the truth is we all want to be seen and heard. And this is what was tearing apart the church in Corinth is that they weren't showing up to worship, but to show up to use their gifts. But that's exactly what Christ did for us, right? Jesus' only agenda on earth was one, to love others and two, to worship God. And what does love actually look like? Jesus says, uh, greater love is no one than this, than when someone gives up their life for a friend. That's exactly what he did. His only agenda was to give for the church and to love the church and to sacrifice by giving of himself. So when you begin to think about others first in your life and you start to test what's being said in order to find the truth and when you assume a posture of learning with the people in your life, what you'll end up with is not a life of chaos, but a life of peace. 
And I think we could all use a little more of that. So how can we step forward? I want to give you a few action steps here today. And for some of you in the room, maybe it's just to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't know Christ and you need to start with that. And your life is full of chaos. And it's full of chaos because your life is still caught up in all of your sin. You have not yet surrendered to Jesus. And I just promise you, surrendering to Jesus will lead to more peace in your life. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to be a blessing to one person every week at church. What if everyone in the room showed up every single week going, I am here to bless one person. I just wonder if you might make that your goal here today. Uh, Maybe your next step is to begin to test your worldview with scripture. Have you just been accepting things that have been told to you for your whole life? And maybe there are things that uh, have been about the church or about Christianity, or maybe you're not a Christian and you've believed outside worldviews that that don't align with Christianity and you need to start to, to look at Christianity in an honest way and stop just living as a skeptic. Maybe you need to test your worldview with scripture and and that's your next step. Or maybe for you today, you just need to be more teachable. You show up looking to poke holes in what's being said from the front like the ladies in the First Corinthian church did instead of showing up ready to learn and grow. And I encourage you to do that as well today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this text, for the way it speaks to us today as, as much as it did to them. God, I pray we'd be teachable people. I pray we'd continue to grow. And I pray we'd resist a life of sin so that we could uh, have a life of peace and not chaos. So God, give us an ability to see where we've allowed sin into our lives that's causing division and causing chaos. God, forgive us for the times that we've showed up to the church to get instead of to give. And we thank you that Jesus, his ultimate goal was to serve the church and to give up himself for the body. And we're just grateful for that reality here today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.